welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, and as you know, I'm the host of this show where we explore the value of creativity through stories, success and failure of people like us and not like us at all. I'm calling this episode the best person possible for the job. Who is it? What makes the best person for the job the best person for the job? How does it relate to you and to me? When are we the best person and when aren't we the best person and why it matters so freaking much? Of course, there's a story involved, including a tall, thin man whose British accent made his insightful observations sound absolutely condescending in spite of or maybe because of his clear and articulate diction. The telling of this tall, thin tale is how we're gonna get going. So, whether you're tugging furiously to pull up your bootstraps today or leaving them dangling in disarray, wandering aimlessly through the garden of your hopes and dreams, let's go, shall we? I'm glad you're here. So it's 2000. And nine, we were living, when I say we, I'm talking about my family, my partner and I and our two kids. <clears throat> it was 2009. We're living in Winnipeg, Manitoba, heartland of Canada. And we're, we're going to sell our house so that we can hit a road and travel for a year with our kids. Now, we all have dreams, right? And some dreams we mean, and others we just like talking about. And uh, I'm totally guilty of it myself. I've talked about skydiving for 20 years, at least 30 years, maybe. Oh, I want to jump out of a plane. I want to go skydiving. Okay. And I realized the other day, I heard myself starting to say this again. And I thought, if I really wanted to go skydiving, like really, truly, actually meant that dream, I would have done it. I mean, even if it costs 500 bucks or whatever, it's like, it's, I could have found the money. I could have found the time. I could have done it. I guess I like the idea of skydiving, but not enough to actually invest the time and the money to go do it. Um, at the same time, there might be other sounding even more implausible dreams. Like uh, uh, last year, two years ago, I was like, I had this idea for a TV show and I wanted to pitch it to Netflix. And uh I just went through the process of doing that and COVID dorked up everything and uh, had to do it myself and, and just kept plowing away and invested the time and the money and the effort and, uh, and just endlessly went through it. Didn't work out, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't get in the right room with the right person to say yes, or maybe I got in the right room with the right person and they said no, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, but it didn't work out. But I invested the time and the money in trying to make that dream come true. So I think we all have dreams. And some of them we mean, and some of them we don't. And this was a dream that the, in 2009, uh, we wanted to tour the world as a family. And I, I think a lot of people say, oh, it'd be great to go do something like this, you know, with my kids, whatever. And it's like, maybe that's skydiving for you, or maybe that's pitching a show to Netflix. Like, I mean, maybe you mean it, or maybe you just like talking about it. I remember that we wanted to do it because I... You know, our kids were 13 and 9 at the time, and right when I started thinking that, you know, the world of possibilities 
uh, would start to open up for my kids and they'd start to see all of the kind of the diversity and all of the variety and all of the possibilities that exist for them and for others and all the challenges and uh, and all of that. You know, I wanted the world to, to be opening up. I saw with many of their friends in particular um how the world was kind of shrinking to the size of a, a gaming controller, you know, uh, and, and just a screen, uh, social media was starting to kick off and, and younger and younger people were starting to get involved. And I just saw, you know, in a weird way, the world starting to, to close and actually get smaller for my kids. And I didn't want that to happen. So we were motivated by, let's do this. And I think, so, you know, what we wanted to do, we wanted to tour the world. Why? That was why. We wanted to open this door of possibilities. The when, uh, I realized, you know, my dad, he'd hardly ever been sick that I can remember, hardly ever been sick a day in his life. And uh, and then he just got one of these weird cancers. It had something to do with uh, um, asbestos. Uh, so it was this huge long name, mesothelioma or something. I don't know what it was. And uh, weird because he was a school teacher and a farmer, so nobody actually knew where he would have got uh, had um, exposure to asbestos. But there he is. And just a few months later, and he's gone. And I remember thinking, man, if my dad, who's never been sick, could could just be gone that quickly. I've had lots of health problems in my life. And I thought, uh, what if I wait and say someday, someday, someday? What if I wait one day too long and then it's too late? So I think that experience is, is what motivated the when, that we just decided, let's do it. So we make this decision. You know, my partner's a tattoo artist. She was booked up for six, eight months in advance. So uh, we were like, well, when are we going to leave? And it's like, well, how about at the end of June in Canada? That's when uh, school gets out for summer holidays. And we're like, why don't we let the kids finish out the year of school? And then, you know, right at the beginning of July, we'll take off. So, you know, at about Christmas time, uh, Zara had to tell her company, don't book any more consultations for any new tattoos. It was going to take her six months just to clear all of her, you know, upcoming designs to, uh, to, to do that. And so it was like, I remember at Christmas or New Year's, what it was, and she had told her company, it's like, well, now it's real. Now we're like turning off the, 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 the revenue stream, uh, six months in advance, but you know, we're, this is getting to be real. So we've talked about it. We've planned it. Now we've taken this pretty big financial step to turn that revenue stream off and we're working our way up to it. And it's like, okay, so when do you put your house on the market? You know, May, May, June, you know, how much time is it going to take to sell? And so we, we're, we're, we went through calm free. I don't know if you're familiar with this company, but you can sell it yourself. And I think we were thinking, look, it's going to take us selling our house, making some money on the house to afford this trip. That's the only way we're going to be able to afford it. And so it felt like every, instead of paying, you know, a realtor, I don't know, 5% or 7% or whatever they were going to take, it's like you'd pay this one-time free, calm free, like, I don't know, they put your picture of your listing on their own website and they give you the stuff to put the sign up and do whatever. So we went through calm free and, and for maybe a month, I did a whole, a whole um, what are they? <laughs> I did open houses myself. 
And uh, it, it was just a dismal failure, man. I, we didn't get one single solitary offer. I don't actually, looking back on it, I can't even remember if anybody came through on the open house uh, days. Anyways, at some point we kind of, it's getting closer and closer to the to the departure date and nothing's happening. And we're like, there was a, a guy named Brad... He was the real estate agent for that neighborhood. I think every house that's you know was up for sale in the neighborhood had his name on the sign. And when he'd heard through the grapevine that we were selling, he had said, uh, either sent an email or, or phoned me up and just said, hey, I heard that you guys might be selling. If you ever want help, I'd be happy to help you. So Zara said, you know what? If we're not going to, if we're going to bail on this whole calm free idea, why don't you call that guy, Brad? He was the first person that, you know, reached out to us. So he comes over. We talk. Obviously, he's a great guy. The very first couple he shows it to, the, the listing wasn't even official. First couple comes through, he sells it. And uh, I can't remember now who, he, he sent me a, uh, I think he phoned me and said, uh, I got an offer I'd like to swing by. My wife and I are going to this uh, Al Green. That was it. I was going, we're going to an Al Green concert. I thought I could drop it off on our way and maybe afterwards uh, I could stop by and, and see what you have to say. So he drops us off, takes off, goes to this concert. We're looking at it. People made a generous offer, maybe like $1,000 less than what we listed it for. So you're not even going to uh, counter. You're just like, yeah, of course, let's take the offer. We go out at 11 o'clock at night in our porch to sit there and have a drink in the dark on our porch. And I see this car. It looks like a guy sitting out in the street. So I, I text him and I said, are you sitting in front of my house? <laughs> He's like, well, I didn't know if it was. He gets out of his car and he walks across the lawn and he said, I didn't know if it was too late. I was trying to see if it was too late, you know. And so we talk about the Al Green concert for a bit. And then we said, yeah, of course we love this. And. And, uh, and then he says, you know what, I really love what you guys are doing. I love this plan <coughs> and why you're doing it, wanting to take your kids around the world. Um, and he said, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to make a deal. What, what if we just did this for 2%? I'll just basically take the administration stuff. So not only did the guy sell it for, you know, the first person that sold it, sold it for like so little, probably didn't make any money on it at all. It was incredible. So here we are. The house is sold. The money's in the bank. We take off and we, we start our year of traveling by traveling across Canada. And we, uh, we get out to British Columbia where my in-laws live. And they immigrated here from England. And we're out on the porch. And I'm out on the porch with my father-in-law. And I'm telling him this story that I just told you. And he looks across at me, across the little patio table, and I wish I could do accents because he has this wonderful English-British accent, <laughs> and, and I can't do it. But he was just like, Rick, if your entire plan hinged on selling your house, you have to sell your house to get the money to go and to free yourself up. If everything hinged on this one element, he's like, why wouldn't you want the best person possible for that job? Like he was incredulous that I went through calm free and tried to sell this house myself. And I, honestly, 
dear listener, I hadn't actually looked at it that way before, and he was absolutely right. What in the world was I doing? Uh, There are times in our life, you know, where you want and need the best person possible for the job. There's no excuse or or it's it's actual kind of insanity to try to cut a corner on that one particular thing. And it brings me to this question for teachers and principals and administrators that I work with. Uh, as, as an arts in education specialist, going into schools and doing online sessions for organizations, I've kind of seen it all, right? And there are some administrators and principals that are just like, I don't want to mess around. So you tell me, what's your program? I want your program. I want the project. Yeah, I want the full thing. Yes, I want you to bring every resource you have. Yes, I want all of that. Yes, I want that equipment. Yet, and I, you're, you, you could help me buy some of that equipment for our students so that they could work with you using your equipment and we would then have that in-house. Yes, I want that. Let's go. Like, There are some people that are just like, I want the right person for the job. That's the job I want done. I'm not going to spare any expense. And then at the other time, I could get off the phone with that person and I could start working with another principal and administrator. And I've had many um, and you, if you work in education, I know that we all are going to know all of these different people. We're going to know people that are uh, like everybody I'm going to describe. And so there are some principals I've talked to. <laughs> if, if I said, uh, I'll pay you $500 to let me come and spend the week and I'll bring everything. I've done this. I've been like, I'll, I did not, I'm going to pay them, but I've like reduced, I've given massive discounts. I've offered massive discounts. I've offered to come and do extra things in the evening that would, um, be for families. I've, and they'll be like, no, no, don't, no, I don't have the money. You know, we're going to go to the dollar store and we're going to get marshmallows and throw them at the kids. You know, whatever. (laughs) They just come up with like, uh, for some people, it's like, no, I don't want the best person for the job. Uh, I'm going to just cut corners everywhere I can. And so the question, I feel like it's a fair question for each one of us. Uh, when, uh, is it, important in your life and is something coming to your mind, you know, as we're talking about a time when maybe you did try to cut corners when you shouldn't have, uh, a time when you actually did hire or employ or invest in the right person for the right job that had the right resources and delivered exactly what you wanted. You know, as somebody who spends a lot of time in school running my own programs, my own programs and producing these projects, I rarely get to see what other um, people that do what I do or, or, you know, fall into that category, what they do. I've only had a chance to see two and in the last five years. Um, and honestly, it was super embarrassing. The, the one, I was in a school up in Northwest Territories, and at least I knew the teacher that I was sitting beside really well. She was a friend. And afterwards, uh, we, just met, we went out after school for a drink, and I was just like, can I ask you something? Like, I never get to see other people do it. And I'm like, was that? presentation from that group today was that normal 
because it was terrible. I'm not giving anything away. I'm not trying to throw anybody else under the bus. It was just the most Mickey Mouse, ridiculous, ad hoc, flying by the seat of their pants, and they were naked. You know what I mean? It was just terrible, and I couldn't believe. And she said, yeah, no, that was that was definitely on the on the really bad scale, but they're often not much better than that. And so, you know, uh, if you're following me online, anywhere on the social media, you know, in this last week or two, uh, I finally launched the creative resource center. Uh, it's at rickleaf.com and it is professionally produced resources for schools. I have never seen schools in crisis mode like I have this last year. COVID has been hard for two years, two and a half years. It's been hard, uh, but I have just seen schools struggling. You know, one of the first schools of the year, it, they were only a three weeks maybe into the school year. And I showed up and the principal wasn't there because he was out waiting for his COVID uh, results to come back. There were six to eight teachers out every day. There weren't enough TAs and substitutes to even be able to cover these courses. I, these classes, I would be in the library. I'd be in the office in the morning trying to find somebody to help me photocopy something. And I would hear these, you know, I'd see these young people or or. Old, they're bringing in, you know, the the teachers who'd retired ten years ago. They're just bringing everybody out of the woodwork to help cover. And I just heard over and over again the secretary or somebody in the office would be like handing like an envelope to a, a substitute who just like rolled out of bed, showed up at the school, and they're like, "I'm sorry, there's no." lesson plan there's nothing for you go up the stairs turn left it's the third door on down on the right hand side like people were coming in with no plan with nothing going on uh i i walked out in the hallway there's this little group of desperate teachers um standing and having this little huddle and they're ch and they're chatting and i said well, how are you guys doing and they're like man 20 to 30 percent of every class like the students are gone every single day and they're like how, how do you teach how do you teach when 30 percent of your class a different 30 percent is gone every single day nobody's on the same page and, I, and as the bell went everybody starts breaking heading to their respective classes somebody calls over to the rest of them and says we just gotta hang on till june we just gotta hang on for 10 months and I was like I've never seen it like this and I as I was walking up to my class to start teaching slam poetry uh I thought you know I can't help everybody but I know I can help somebody and by helping somebody I meant I could invest the time and the energy and the money in developing the best resources possible because in some elements I know that I'm the best person you want to learn slam poetry you want to learn do you know do you know what slam poetry is by the way if you don't know I, I like to describe it as you know the combination of creative writing and creative performance it's not like rap or hip-hop because there's no music and there's no beats and it's not like theater or acting because there's no costumes or props it's just about words and what slam poetry offers uh, that's different than other types of writing and this is a powerful thing that it offers, is that nobody reads a slam poet's poetry. 
but that poet. If you want to experience what that slam poet has written, you, they have to actually perform it. And what's really great about that is if you have a student who struggled with uh, spelling, with punctuation and grammar and those types of things, those struggles with structure of writing and the rules of writing can become sensors in a student's head, those voices in our head that tell us why we can't do something. And all of a sudden, by saying, nobody's going to read this but you. So if you know what word you're trying to spell, I don't care how you spell it. Of course, spelling is important. But for this moment, I don't care. And I don't want the poet to care. If you know what you're trying to say, uh, we don't even write using typical uh, punctuation and grammar. You write it more point form because we write slam poetry to show the flow of how we want it to go and we get up to perform it. So we, we use run on sentences if that's where we want to speed up and talk louder. Uh, and faster. We include, you know, maybe just use dot, dot, dot if we want to uh, communicate, I want to pause here. And when we write out these clues for how we want the words to say when we perform them, that makes it, of course, many students, many of us are going to get up in front of people and we're going to be nervous. Well, if you've written a performance copy that shows you how you want those words to go and you can just trust that, you've thought it through. You, how do I, when do I want to speed up? When do I want to talk louder? When do I want to put in a pause and talk a little bit quieter like when when we've given ourselves those clues and we can just trust that it makes it way easier not only just to do it but it makes it way easier for a student to get up and do it well and one of the great things about slam poetry is is that we we give snaps if we want to if we like something that the poet said or how they say it we just give snaps, and it's a non-verbal way to be an active listener in class and support those people. And so slam poetry becomes this a way, a great way to boost literacy in your class because it, it shuts down the sensors that many students have. It l gives them that when those voices stop accusing them and telling them that they can't do something, they're able to see in the mirror and go, maybe I can. And I give them some easy, great writing prompts and, you know, all of these uh, lessons that I use, uh, I put them into video lessons. So if you're a teacher and you're called in to cover one of these classes and nobody's got a lesson plan, if your school, if that school has bought access to all of this content in the Creative Resource Center, they'd be able to say, here, here's the username and password, log in, grab the, the first lesson, uh, print off the, the PDF that goes with this lesson, hand it out to your students. Rick is gonna, in less than 10 minutes, he's gonna describe the writing prompt. You're gonna have the, the lesson that you've already handed out. He's gonna, you know, press pause, answer any questions the students have, then press play again. Rick's gonna perform a slam poem using that writing prompt so that students can see and hear what it might sound like and look like before they start writing them themselves. Those are the type of resources that I wanted to create for teachers, for principals and schools, because I realize sometimes you need the best person in the job. And, you know, if you're going to learn slam poetry, learn it from a slam poet. 
If you're an elementary, a primary teacher, and you want to use music in the classroom, and maybe you're not a musician, maybe you don't play an instrument, I've seen teachers laboriously go through all of these different places trying to find music, trying to find, they're on YouTube, and they're, trying, they're going different places to find music that they can use that, man, why not work with a professional songwriter and producer who has uh, hundreds of songs, many of which were written with students across country. I've, I've written songs with students about, you know, anti-bullying stuff, the buddy bench, and uh, school spirit, and we love our school, and inclusion, and resiliency, and uh, zones of regulation, and respect, and, and, you know, you get these songs, and some of the songs have videos that go with them of students that are now telling the story also visually through art or through acting, and, and you're able to play those for your, your students. Those same songs, they're there in MP3 format if you just wanted to like have some music in the class. There's lyric videos if you just want to put that up and have your, your class be able to sing along to a song that they like. Again, you know, professional resources for your school, all conveniently located in one place when you want and need the right person for the job. Uh, I've been in lots of middle schools and high schools where teachers uh, want to spark meaningful conversations with their students over themes, maybe themes related to events that are going on in the news, uh, values, uh, things um, that are happening in the school. Maybe there's challenges and problems and struggles that students or, or classes or the school is having. So I put together some uh, yeah, these kind of inspirational, conversational videos around these themes that, that, that teachers can use. You play it. They're less than five minutes long, but they are going to touch on some of these issues that you can then, you know, launch from there. What do you think about this? How, how do you feel? Uh, does this, you know, describe how you're feeling or thinking or, or something, you know, how does this relate to what we're going through as a class? I was in a, a, a school uh, just a couple months ago, and a, and a, a support staff, I, I don't actually know all the different titles, you know, whether a, a teacher's assistant, a TA is, is, uh, is what all of the people in the class, but this person was a support staff, and they were telling me how much they liked their new principal. And they said, Rick, I've been a support staff for 17 years. I've worked in this school. And they said, because of this new principal, this is the first year I've ever been offered uh, professional development opportunities. And I thought, whoa, what? I just assume with the unions being what they are and, and education and all of the support and all of the, the different meetings, I thought, man, everybody's going to have all of the uh, support and professional development that they could possibly hope for it. And I thought, man, again, I can't be everything to everyone, but I've been working on a book and for, for a while compiling the different uh, creative development resources that I've offered in pro D stuff at teachers conferences and and uh, at school district levels and just um, for organizations, frankly. And so I was like, I could create some flip books that would take some of this content and make it available and applicable to people 
uh, to TAs, to teachers, to anybody in that school, because we're all trying to find creative and innovative solutions to the problems we're facing, right? So I put that together. So that's included. So it's there's stuff for students and there's stuff for little kindies up to all the way through the primary grades to middle school um, and into some into high school. And then there's you know, resources, yeah, for your teachers and your administration and your support staff, including, you know, podcast episodes like this that are just uh, trying to highlight some of the journey that we're on as we're looking for solutions to the problems we're facing. And, and I feel like, you know, <clears throat> we all probably have to spend, I, I just spent hours and hours last week scouring through the internet trying to find the videos that would help explain some of the the new the problems I'm having with some new cameras and gimbals and trying to get the software loaded in the drivers and how to connect this to that and it's like it's not really my strength and I need to find people that explain it to me and I was just like this person takes too long and this person was like not quite exactly the the right um equipment and it wasn't the quite the same version and it it's so frustrating so I just wanted it to be this creative resource center to be really convenient to use there's one place it's all available in one place it's organized by themes into these bundles six bundles so that just exactly what you need it's identified by grades so that you have the age and grade appropriate material in the right place, in the right time, exactly what you need, you know? Uh, because I've also seen teachers who have, after spending hours scouring through the internet to find the right photo or some music or a poem or, or some presentation or performance, Lord help them if they want to produce something with their class and share it online or Facebook so that moms and dads and families and whatever can see. Because now you have copyright claims and legal issues. So again, everything that I offer when you become a member of this uh, Creative Resource Center, you can use it in any way you want. You want to use that to make slideshows for your school. You can do that. You want to use it for in any possible way you can do it. Um, I love the saying, most often, I, you know, I really do hate most um, quotes that I see because um, I just feel like they're always taken out of context. A really great quote is usually born out of adversity and struggle. And I always hate that somebody will take these um, these nuggets of wisdom and life that come from the darkest, you know, mining the dark colors of the rainbow, so to speak. And then we put them in a soft filter over a rainbow and kitties. And you're just like, no, I hate that. That's not where it comes from. I feel like it, it, it sells this false sense of like, yeah, buy into this quote and it's your life's going to be all fuzzy with a nice filter and you're not going to have any wrinkles. And it's like, you're going to have a million wrinkles, man. You're gonna <laughs> if you want to live the kind of life that these quotes come from, you got to walk those dusty, lonely roads where, you know, like your grandparents, you're walking uphill both ways, barefoot in a snowstorm and the howling wind, you know, screaming, you're, you know, at the heavens that you won't give up clawing with your broken fingers bleeding. You know what I mean? 
it's gonna take that man and you're gonna look it you're gonna look like you've lived and and the that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of it so i love though this one saying be courageous enough to suck at something new that might sound really sarcastic and maybe it is but it really resonates with me be courageous enough to suck at something new so there are definitely times we need to step out and 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 take a risk try to do something we've never done i have to like try to figure out these cameras and how it's going to work with this gimbal because if i could figure that out man it is going to take my own storytelling to a whole other level it's going to allow me to stream here in my studio in a way that i've never been able to do it's gonna be better and I'm gonna have to uh, maybe it's not my first couple videos are gonna suck but I got to be brave enough and courageous enough to suck at something new because that might open the door and I believe it will to uh, experiencing things that I haven't to this point and that's what I want I want to continue to grow and so we we need to uh, find that balance between the times we need to step out and really challenge ourselves and create our own content or, 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 or be the person that we need for that job right now, learn how to use new technology for ourselves. Sometimes maybe we have to do that because there is no budget or uh, time to do anything else. So there's, it's a fair question to ask, am I the best person for this job right here, right now? Or like me and calm free and selling the stupid house. Is there a time where uh, this is a point to acknowledge an area of personal weakness and not with shame or guilt or frustration, but more as an opportunity to work with somebody who's strong in this area? Like when I met that guy, Brad, the, the real estate agent in Winnipeg, and he came over, man, that's his life. He gets it. He gets real estate. He gets that market. He gets everything about the neighborhood. He knows what's going on four blocks over this way and across Main Street over that way and the house down on the street. He knows what sold last month, what just came on the market yesterday. He was the guy, right? Um, so there's times when we acknowledge, yeah, this is an area of weakness for me. And it's an opportunity to go find that person who's got a strength that can then, you know, working together, make me better at what I'm at, you know, already, you know, good at. This is going to make me better and it's going to take everything to the other level. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. I was at a TED Talk years ago and uh, this guy got up on stage and he said, let's just imagine everybody. That we got a piece of stereo equipment and you open the box. How many of you would uh, open up the box, you take the manual out, and before you touched anything or took anything out of the packaging, you'd read that manual from beginning to end before you touched anything else? And a whole bunch of people put their hand up in the audience, I, which I thought was hilarious because my partner, that's the way she learns, right? She, she reads manuals. She won't touch anything. And if we're trying to do something together, she won't let me touch it. And I always just thought it was her. And we would just joke, like tease each other good-naturedly about that. He says, how many of you people, if you took that manual out of the box and you turned it over on the back page, there was a, a support number, 1-800-call-support, you know, call support, and you could call that up and say, hey, Mary, I just bought this uh, piece of stereo equipment. I just wondered if you could walk me through how to plug it in and set it up. A whole bunch of people put their hand up, and I thought that was the most bonkers thing I'd ever seen. I, if you gave me a year, I probably would never have thought of doing that. 
And he said, okay, and then the rest of you, how many of you, uh, if you bought this piece of stereo equipment, open up the box, take it out of the box, plug it in, just start pushing buttons to figure it out. And I'm like putting my hand up. I'm like, yeah, finally, we're, we're to, we're, we've gotten to how people learn. And it was just like me and like a handful of other people. And he started laughing. He said, okay, maybe you guys can see we're in a big theater. And he's like, maybe you couldn't see everyone from where you were, but it was pretty much a third and a third and a third. And if you're listening and you're a teacher or an educator, you probably know what he just pointed out. Some of us are visual learners. Some of us are audio learners. And some of us are tactile learners. And his point was... Uh, the best teachers realize that in their classroom, they're going to have people who learn differently, that those different learning styles. And the best teachers are the ones who are able to incorporate those different styles as much as possible into each lesson so that you really connect with how students are learning, which is another thing that fueled why and how I put together the content for the Creative Resource Center. It was videos that would show visually and audibly how you know we work on these themes how do we in visualize how do we how do we tell the story of being the change we want to see how do we tell the story of you know anti-bullying message how do we tell the story of school spirit uh other people that just want the lyrics, they want the the music, because the, the, that's how they learn. Other people that are like more tactile, they need those lessons. They need to be able to write out their own verse, to be able to get up and start saying their words and their um, message in their own voice out loud in this world. That's a powerful thing to, to hear your own words with your own voice in this world. That's what I want. There's, you know, some teachers that they, they want to be able to spark a conversation by having somebody launch an idea into the classroom that they can then extrapolate upon. Those are great. Other people, like those flip books, those pro D flip books, I, I don't think any of us need more inspirational kind of little chapters to read. We need ways to apply these thoughts and ideas when we're feeling in over our head, when we're feeling like the world is too challenging, when I feel like, you know, I'm not getting where I want to go in this life. I need somebody to say, do you want to know why? It's probably breaks down to these two different things. Maybe you don't know where you want to go or B, you do know where you want to go, but you've never broken down the steps that are going to take you from here to there. So you have no way of evaluating whether you're, this step is leading to the next one, to the next one. And instead of getting distracted and veering off into a million different rabbit trails and rabbit holes like I do when I'm talking on this podcast... You know, you need a roadmap that's going to take you progressively. And when you get, you know, into the dark night of the soul and you get into the valley of your, you know, your journey in those difficult times like I had last week, you're able to take a step back, look at the roadmap, your creative roadmap for taking and you're going, yes, as sucky as this week is, as hard as this week is, I see that what I'm investing in time and money and whatever energy and creativity right now, it is an important step in taking me to where I want to go. Just that alone, knowing that you're, you're actually still moving, even however incrementally it might be or feel, you are at least moving in the direction that you want to go. So all of this content that I put together, uh, it, is, it is for that very purpose to help you, to help 
teachers and principals and schools and students and staff and everybody who's involved uh, to continue moving forward in the direction you want to go. It was a, a, a concerted effort to combine all the different styles of learning to uh, take you know, the content that I could produce professionally to make it available conveniently, I could not do it. I do lots of web stuff for myself, but I had to hire people. I'd spend thousands of dollars to hire a company that specializes in this because this was my area of weakness. And time will tell if, you know, the Creative Resource Center becomes another black hole uh, for me financially, but whether it does or whether it doesn't, uh, I'm proud of what I did and what I've done and why I'm here because I know I took the best of what I was able to do and I made it uh, the best ever. I, I have never seen content, honestly, this great, this inclusive, uh, targeting this many different learning styles, um, so conveniently located, uh, I just, I can't wait for teachers and schools to start checking it out, to start getting me some feedback. That's ultimately where that always comes down to, you know, everything that I've created has come out of conversations with students, with teachers. You know, there was a, some, there was a grade nine teacher a few months ago in that school that was like trying to hang on from September to June. Um, this one grade nine class, I had one kind of maybe two and a half hour block with them to do slam poetry. And wow, it was one of those fantastic sessions. And these students were so amazing. And the teacher caught up to me a couple days later in the staff room and just kind of took me aside and just said, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity this week to celebrate my students. She said, so often we can spend, we can just get kind of caught in this trap of like, have you got your, your lesson done? Have you got this completed? Have you started that? Have you got this? Well, get on it and you're falling behind and you got to do the reading. And she's like, you just get caught in this trap of like hounding them to get things done that they haven't to, uh, whatever, and she said, this was such a great experience for me to just celebrate them and the perspective. And she said, and, and she was just giving me feedback that it happened a couple of days after I'd been out of that class on the difference it had made for them as a class and the culture in that classroom. And look, I know that we all need these opportunities. And maybe that's coming from a performance art background, you know, starting off as a performer and as a songwriter and just going on tour. I've done like tens of thousands of concerts around the world. So many train wreck evenings, so many terrible nights, so, and so many amazing nights. And sometimes the greatest, you know, I, I this is absolutely the truth. Often the highest paying gigs are not the most rewarding. Often the, the biggest shows with thousands of people are not the best shows. I'm not saying it's not fun to get up on stage in front of 5,000 people. It is, usually. Uh, 
there's just a different energy. It's actually quite easy. It's much harder to do a house concert with your guitar and your voice and 10 people uh, than 5,000 people to be looking straight in somebody's eye, to have them be able to be right on top of you, watching how you play, to ask questions. Like, um, But also... I love that. I've learned to really love that vulnerability and that connection. So I don't honestly care if I'm in an inner city school with a thousand students and I'm working with five or 600 in that week, or whether I'm in a tiny little Northern school with maybe 60 kids, if everyone showed up and sometimes I'm in a room and there's six students there, you know, it's the same thing. You have these opportunities to really connect, whether it's a big crowd or a little crowd. And I've taken all of those experiences and all of those conversations and all of those moments and funneled all of that experience into what students have said that really helps them, what teachers have said really helps them, what principals have said, you know, really helps their school and helps them support their teachers and their staff. So for all of us, Finding that moment to say, when are you the right person for the job? And, and really looking in the mirror and being honest, because sometimes it's our fear and our insecurity that say, I just want to pay somebody else to do this. And nobody will know but you. Nobody will know but me. Like last week, Thursday, if I could have gone online and said, is there anybody in my, I pay you $100 right now, if somebody could just come to my office and get this camera to work with this gimbal, to work with this streaming site and software. If you could figure that out, I'd pay you 100 bucks. I don't care if you could figure it out in five minutes. But of course, there is nobody. I have to do it. And if I do it for myself, that'll be knowledge an experience that I can take to my next school or my next gig where they might need troubleshooting to do the same thing. So I was investing in myself last week um, by deciding, yes, I'm the right person for the job. I also had to admit many months ago, I'm not the right person for the job of figuring out this website. By the way, if you're listening, please go to rickleaf.com. Check out the Creative Resource Center. Uh, if you have a teacher or a principal or somebody working in education in your life, if that's not you, uh, tag them, send it to them, send them a link, say, hey, you should check this out because it might be the kind of resources that would make somebody's life a little better. Maybe I could be that person who could show up and provide a solution that somebody's looking for. That's the hope and the dream because... What do we often say? I love when I do this, actually. I love when I, I make a rhetorical question about a we. I always say we, and it's like totally me, you know? Um, I, I love saying that, like, hey, can we, like, can we pull something up? Maybe I'm trying to be like Joe Rogan saying, hey, Jamie, can you pull that up? I like pretending that there's somebody else here listening or that I'm looking across, like, uh, Howard Stern and Robin, you know, like... Uh, there's nobody here but me and you who are listening. But uh, I like to say that, you know, what do we often say? Oh, don't we say that, uh, you know, being creative is a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's one that produces an energy that empowers resiliency and the confidence to face challenges in life uh, that life throws at us. 
uh, because that process of facing those challenges, it creates momentum. And we will become our grandparents, you know, in spirit and in uh, overly blown rhetoric and imagery as we climb, you know, the mountains of our inner uh, difficulty and struggles and insecurities, uh, both uh, uphill both ways in a snowstorm and bare feet and, you know, screaming our defiance to the universe. Uh, that's the kind of momentum we're looking for, right? That's the kind of momentum we're looking for. That's the kind of momentum I hope you have today, wherever you're at, whatever it is you're doing. I hope you were inspired and able to relate to today's episode and the whole idea of are you and who is the right person for the right job at the right time. Uh, feel free to leave a comment or ask a question. And always remember, my dear friends, you are capable of infinitely more than you ever give yourself credit for. So until next time. <laughs>